And if you don't know me, my name is Ben. I am the vicar here this morning, and it is a privilege to see you here at St. Thomas's. Um, if it's your first time here, then a really, really warm welcome to you. It is fantastic to see you here. As James said earlier, we're in the middle of a sermon series called The Radical Life. And today we come to Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 39, and we're going to be looking at the radical cost, the radical cost of discipleship. Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through to 39. I'm going to read that to us now. Let's give you a couple of moments to find it. Fantastic. Verse 24, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But if anyone disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. So, a very tricky passage this morning, and um, we pray, come Holy Spirit, help us to make sense of this and apply it to our hearts that we might be transformed. So we're partway through this series called The Radical Life, how Jesus calls us to a life of radical discipleship. In the first week, Adam discussed the radical call. He, look, he looked at that with us as we looked at Jesus calling the, the, the disciples, in particular, in particular Matthew. And we looked at how surprising Jesus' call is. It's surprising because he calls us. That's a shock enough. But it's also surprising because Jesus is the one who initiates the call. Jesus chose the disciples. Jesus chose us. He said to them, didn't he? You, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Did you know that you are chosen by Jesus? Last week, Lee looked at the radical few. 
The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he encouraged us to live a life that proclaims and demonstrates the kingdom of God. And he talked about how prayer is essential in that. We're to pray and to ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into the harvest field. Because church, the harvest is great. As Lee said last week, 99% of people that live in the Northeast do not have a relationship with Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. If we're not going to be sent out and do the things of the kingdom, who is? And so today, we're looking at the cost of, that, of following that call. The cost of what it is to follow Jesus today. Now, if you're taking notes, you may want to highlight these two verses, verses 38 and 39. There's lots of, all of the verses, obviously, in in this passage are amazing because they're all the Bible. But these are the two key verses for us this morning. And they're hard hitting. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, these are extraordinary verses. Jesus has been gathering a huge crowd. And earlier on in chapter 10, Jesus has sent out his disciples to go and proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. And the good news about Jesus all over the region is growing and growing and growing. And what does Jesus do? Well, he says, if you really want to be my disciple, then you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. Now, I want to put it to us this morning that if it were us drawing a crowd, if it were us that was gathering a multitude of people, our inclination would be to make it as comfortable as possible so the crowd would grow and grow and grow. How can we make church easier? How can we make it more comfortable for people to come? Are we serving the best coffee that we possibly can? Is the experience as good as it possibly can be? But Jesus doesn't do any of that stuff and he doesn't say to the crowd, right, same time, same place next week, turn up again, it's all going to be great. No, instead he says, unless you pick up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of me. You cannot be my disciple. That's, that's what it says in Luke's gospel. Whoever does not pick up their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now these are hard hitting words. Our brothers and sisters all over the world know this saying to be literally true. According to Open Doors, one in seven Christians globally will be persecuted for their faith in some way today. One in seven. I was reading a news article this week that was talking about Christians um, in various different countries around the world taking lashes, receiving lashes with a whip just for taking communion. Christians in some countries are sent to concentration camps And yet they still proclaim Jesus as Lord. Christian women have it particularly bad. Christian women all over the world are routinely abused and tortured just for following Jesus. Whoever does not pick up their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now when you hear the word Iran... I wonder what comes into your mind, what headlines come 
into your mind. Well, I bet it's not the headline that I saw earlier this week, which said that there are one million new believers in Iran. Iran where it's illegal to be a Christian, Iran where they'll, they will give you lashes for taking communion, one million new believers in Iran. Church, um, people that study church growth estimate, and this is done by a number of different studies now, that the fastest growing part of the church anywhere in the world is in Iran, where you risk punishment, imprisonment, even your life for following Jesus. Most of the churches in Iran are tiny little house churches that number between 10 to 15 people. They gather discreetly. They endure the, they have to, you know, make it to church sometimes in the quiet. They risk violence. But when people gather and the doors are shut, they worship Jesus, I'm told, like nobody else has ever seen. Now here in the UK, we face nowhere near the same level of persecution. I'm not saying that we don't face any, but it's nowhere near that scale. And yet most places in the Western world where it's legal, in fact, I think pretty much everywhere where it's legal to be a Christian, the church is either static or in decline. And everywhere where it's illegal to be a Christian, the church of Jesus Christ is growing. Why is that? Well, is it something to do with these verses? Whoever does not pick up their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. We have an extraordinary level of comfort here in the UK in terms of of following Jesus. So much so that in lots of part of the West, Christians believe a prosperity gospel, a gospel that's centered on us being healthy and wealthy. In fact, one famous preacher recently said, and I quote, Jesus died on the cross so that you could be healthy and wealthy. Frederick Huntingdon said this, it is not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity that is the biggest threat to the gospel. Leonard Ravenhill, who was a Yorkshire preacher, died in the 90s, spent most of his time ministering in the States. He said this in a sermon once. When I see the church in the New Testament, they didn't have stately buildings. They didn't have paid evangelists. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have organization. They couldn't get on the TV and beg. But I'll tell you what they did. They turned the world upside down. Now, isn't church, isn't that the call on us? Isn't that the call on this church? Not to turn the world upside down, but as I say it, see it, to partner with God in turning the world the right way up again. When we look across our region and see that 99% of people don't have relationship with Jesus, or we see the number of people that are living in poverty, we see all of the injustice that we read about every single day, we should long to partner with God to see the world turned the right way up. That's what we're here for. But church, there is a cost on that call. And we're going to see that as we work through these verses together. So firstly, we're going to look at verses 24 and 25, and we're going to look at Jesus's radical example. Verses 24 and 25. 
Now, Jesus makes the point that there's a relationship between a teacher and a student, between the head of the house and the rest of the house. Good teachers, um, if you have a good teacher and you're a student, you will want in some way to be like your teacher. I can remember one of the teachers that had a real impact on me was my year four teacher in primary school. He was just absolutely fantastic. He made learning so much fun. And I I can remember wanting to be a little bit like him. The head of any organization defines the rest of the organization. Now, what's Jesus' point here? His point is this. If he experienced opposition and persecution, why do we think it would be any different for us? We should expect the same thing. Now, last week, Lee was talking about joining in with the ministry of Jesus. Now, if that is what we are to do, then we should expect all of the joys and all of the challenges that come with that. Now, we often sing about this, but I wonder how often do we really mean it? How often do I really mean it? Last week we were singing this song. I'll just read out to you the bridge. It's Christ be magnified by Cody Carnes. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. Christ be magnified. Now they're easy words to sing, aren't they? And we love it and we really go for it. Do we realize the cost of what it is that we're singing though? The cost of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus' example. So the radical example. Secondly, our radical fearlessness. This is verses 26 to 31. Jesus says in these few verses here, do not be afraid. That comes in verse 36. Now, do you know that this is one of the most repeated commands in all of Scripture? Do not be afraid afraid. Jesus even says in verse 28 here, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Now you might sit there and think, well that's very well and very easy for you to say Jesus, but I'm, sometimes I'm petrified. Sometimes fear cripples me. Well the reason that Jesus says do not be afraid comes in verses 29 to 31. And not two sparrows sold for a penny. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This is the cause of our radical fearlessness. Why? Because God has radical care for the sparrows that, okay, are very valuable to God. But guess what? You're more valuable to him than the sparrows. He's holding all of creation together. And if that is true, how much more is he holding you together? How much more is he holding me together? And that's why we don't fear. 
A few months ago now, I used to, wherever I walked, I used to put on the song Gyra by Maverick City. And there's that fantastic bit in the song where they just sing over, over, um, over us. If he dresses the lilies in beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? How much more will he clothe you? And if he watches over every sparrow, how much more does he love you? How much more does he love you? His love for you is so great that he sent, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, for you. That's how much he loves you. And so his love for us drives us to not be afraid. Even when there's opposition, even when there's persecution, even when there's a cost, his love conquers all. Over the last few months, I've had to weigh up saying certain things and doing certain things for which I know there may be a cost for me personally. And it's not always been easy, but it's his love for me that drives me to do what he's calling me to do because it's worth it. Jesus's love is worth it. So radical fearlessness. Thirdly, the radical choice. This is verses 32 and 33. Now, these are some of the most hard-hitting verses in all of the Bible, I think. If we acknowledge Jesus before others, Jesus will acknowledge us before his Father in heaven. But whoever disowns him, he will disown before his Father in heaven. Now, this is difficult stuff. Now, what isn't happening here is this isn't Jesus tricking us into saving ourselves by works righteousness. So he's not saying you've got to do something in order to be saved. That isn't what Jesus is saying here at all. We're saved simply because Jesus chose us and the Spirit worked in us to respond to his call. That's it. Jesus saved us through what he did on the cross. But our response to Jesus' love is not in order to earn his love, it's in response to his love. And our response to Jesus' love is to speak about him, even when that is difficult. It's not particularly popular to be a Christian right now, is it? Certainly not here. We have a different moral framework to what most of society say that they hold. We have a different call on our lives on how we treat our enemies and those whom we disagree with. We have a different ethical outlook on the most vulnerable in society. We have a different moral framework when it comes to sexuality and relationships. Sometimes just making a stand for these things is acknowledging Jesus and his way and his grace and his love. Sometimes just living for the things of the kingdom in the way that Lee was talking about last week, that's acknowledging Jesus before others. Again, Leonard Ravenhill, this is one of the most challenging quotes I think I've ever heard in a sermon. He said this, is what you are living for worth Christ dying for? Is what I am living for worth Christ dying for now fourthly the radical cost part one 
This is verses 34 to 39, the radical cost part one. Now, Jesus is very clear in these verses that there is a cost to following him. We have to put Jesus above everything else. And that means our families, our homes, our preferences, our dreams, the physical stuff that we love, our love for Jesus must come before all of those things. And none of us get this right all of the time. I certainly don't. But these tricky verses about, you know, um, in, in some of the Gospels it says, whoever does not hate their family. Now, Jesus is not advocating that you hate your, you hate your family or your parents or your children. But what he is saying is that Jesus comes first. Look at verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now again, Jesus is not saying don't love your mum or dad. Jesus is saying don't love your children. But what he is saying is who do you love the most? What he asks me is, Ben, who do you love the most? What do you love the most? And if I love anything more than I love Jesus then that is where my ultimate faith is in. Following Jesus costs us everything. We give up the right to be Lord of our own life. We give up the right to be King of our own life. And we pick up our cross and follow him. And Maddie, Maddie Archer put this on Instagram last week. I'll just read it out to us because I thought it was fantastic. Dear Lord, whatever I desire, may I desire you more. Whatever I seek, may I seek you more. Whatever I love, may I love you more. May you mean more to me than anything in the world. That's the heart of what Jesus is getting at here in these verses. Picking up the cross and following Jesus is the pattern of discipleship. The good news is that Jesus is not calling us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. He picked up a literal cross for you and for me and carried it on his back and hung on it. And as he was hanging on that cross, he saw your face and loved you to salvation. Now, most of us won't actually literally have to pick up a cross to follow Jesus. Lots of our brothers and sisters around the world will. But we've got to be prepared to follow in the way of Jesus. I've got to be prepared to follow in the way of Jesus. Now, as I was reading all of these news articles about the persecuted church earlier this week, I was deeply challenged. While I sometimes struggle to work out how much I should give in terms of my resources, my finance, my time, while I struggle to work out how much I should give, Brothers and sisters of mine in different parts of the world are literally giving their lives. Now, I don't say this just to guilt trip us into giving more or to thinking that we need to be doing more. I'm not doing that at all. I'm just saying that in the West at the moment, we live in, in a time of unparalleled comfort when it comes to following Jesus. The church usually grows when it's under pressure. There is a cost to following Jesus, the radical cost. 
Now, my last point is this, the radical cost part two. And look at verse 39. So there is a cost to following Jesus. It costs us everything. But at the very same time, it costs us absolutely nothing. It costs us everything and at the very same time costs us absolutely nothing. It's absolutely free. Jesus gave up his life for us so that we could be free. Relationship with him costs us nothing, but it cost him everything. Now, when Jesus says life here, whoever does not give up um, their life for my sake will lose it. When Jesus says life here, it's the Greek word psyche, which is where we get the word psychology from. Now, this word is, what, is, is about what denotes your identity, your personality, the very things that make you, you. Now, Jesus is not saying give up being you. Otherwise, he'd say, you know, you must lose yourself in order to lose yourself or something like that. Now, what Jesus is actually talking about is what do you put your identity in? What are the things that define who you are? In Mark's gospel, when Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship, he says this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? You see, all of us have things, worldly things, or things that we just think will define us. And we point to those things and say, if only I get more of that, then I'll be more of who I am. Every culture around the world has this view of what it is to be complete. Some, for some cultures, it's money. For other cultures, it's status. For some cultures, it's marriage and having two kids, whatever it might be. And we just think if we can attain those things, then I'll be more of who I am supposed to be and I'll be more fulfilled. For some, it's about having a good career, having a better um, bank account, having a partner, having the best reputation that you properly can. But what Jesus is saying here is that that will never work. No matter how many of these things that you achieve, no matter how much you gain, you'll never ever be able to have a firm rooted identity life unless it's rooted in him. Now Jesus does say, if we die to self, if we pick up our cross, we get a new identity. And it's an identity that Jesus won for us when he picked up his cross for us. And in that sense, it costs us nothing. And that gives us a sense of security that cannot be changed by how much or how little is in our bank accounts or how good our relationships are or whether we've got the career promotion that we wanted or not. That exchange in identity gives us the deepest confidence of all the confidence of the gospel. Following Jesus is enough. Church, we don't realise that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is really all we have. And again, lots of our brothers and sisters around the world realise that every single day, but we don't. Jesus is all we need. We don't realise that until Jesus is all we have. And because we've got so much stuff, we come to Jesus negotiating, thinking that we can, you know, we can negotiate with him or barter with him over what the call on our life is going to be or on what he's going to ask us 
to do. But if a king walks into this room or a head of state walks in, imagine King Charles III walks in now, you wouldn't negotiate with him and he's just an earthly king. No, you'd ask him, tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. How much more should that be true of Jesus? Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, put it like this. You can't come to a king negotiating. You lay your sword at a king's feet and say, command me. If you try to negotiate instead, if you say, I'll obey you if, you aren't recognizing him as a king. But don't forget this. Jesus is not just a king. He's a king on a cross. If he were only a king on a throne, you'd submit to him just because you have to. But he's a king who went to the cross for you. Therefore, you can submit to him out of love and trust. And this means coming to him, not negotiating, but saying, Lord, whatever you ask, I will do. Whatever you send, I will accept. When someone gave his life so utterly for you, how can you not give yourself utterly for him? Taking up your cross means dying to your own self-determination, dying to control your own life, and dying to using him for your agenda. Am I willing to be like that? Am I willing to follow Jesus, whatever the cost? If I'm honest, I don't, don't think I, I don't think I am. Certainly not all of the time. But we pray for the Holy Spirit. I pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill me that I might live this life that Jesus has called us to live. Let me just tell a quick story before um, I finish. Two reformers, um, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. Um, Nicholas Ridley went to a school just around the corner from here, um, RGS. He, he grew up in, in the northeast, lived in Jesmond. Um, these two reformers were burnt at the stake in Oxford for what they were doing in terms of being involved in the Reformation and wanting to see the church in England, the Church of England, reformed so that it might preach the unadulterated gospel again. And they were burnt at the stake in Oxford for this. And this is what historians say Latimer said to Ridley as they were being burnt alive. Be of comfort, Master Ridley. We shall light a fire by God's grace this day in England, as I trust shall never be put out. Be of good comfort, Master Ridley. We shall light a fire this day in England, as I trust, shall never be put out. Now, I want to put it to us that if we're willing to give everything for Jesus, if you're willing to give everything for Jesus in your life, on your street, in your workplace, where God has called you, he will light a fire in your life that will never be put out and the consequences will last into eternity. Come, Holy Spirit of God, we pray, and set our hearts on fire with love for you. 
What if God were to light a fire this day in this church through this people as we said, yes, whatever it takes, whatever the cost, I'll follow you, Jesus, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. Do you think he could use that to transform a region? Do you think he, should, he could use that so that the gospel could go out, new place, new communities of faith could be planted, new churches started, and people profess Jesus as Lord and Saviour? It'll cost us everything, church. But at the same time, it will cost us absolutely nothing. Now let me read this poem to us and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through this as I read it to you. When I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. The Lord said, well, your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen, I think. I think amen, amen, I think. I think I say amen. Look, Lord, I'm not completely sure. Can we just run through that again? You say that my body could, could be killed and left to rot and stink. Yeah, that sounds terrific, Lord. I say amen, I think. But Lord, look, there must be other ways to follow you, I said. I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said, you could put up with sneers and scorn and spit. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen, a bit. A bit, amen, amen, a bit. A bit, I say, amen. Oh, look, I'm not completely sure. Can we just run through that again? You said I could put up with sneers and scorn and spit. Oh yes, I've made up my mind and say amen a bit. Well, I sat back a while and tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said, the Bible says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You're going to need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you still want to follow me? I said, amen. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say amen. You see, I've got it clear. Let's just run through that again. You say that I will need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, I think I've got it straight. I'll say amen tomorrow. The Lord said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me, a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you not part of you, every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, amen, no, I quit. I'm awfully sorry, Lord, I said, I'd like to follow you, but I don't think that religion is a bold thing to do. The Lord said, well, forget religion then. You think about my son. You tell me if you're bold enough to do what he has done. Are you bold enough to see the need and bold enough to go? Are you bold enough to care for those that no one wants to know? Are you bold enough to say the things that people hate to hear and battle through Gethsemane in loneliness and fear? And listen, are you bold enough to stand it at the end, the moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend? Are you bold enough to hold your tongue, bold enough to cry, and when the nails break your body, are you bold enough to die? 
Bold enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown. Bold enough to love the world and turn it upside down. Are you bold enough to follow me? I ask you once again. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Amen, 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 amen. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit of God. radical cost is that it costs us nothing and everything all at the same time where is it that the Lord is calling you to make a stand to acknowledge Jesus that your life may be a landing pad for the Holy Spirit to set it on fire that God may light a fire through you that will never be put out. Come Holy Spirit. Now I'd love us to respond to this and I know it's a, this is a big ask and it's a, these verses in the Bible are tricky. But if you know that you're being called to make a stand for Jesus at the moment and it's going to cost you, maybe your reputation, maybe your finances, maybe your calling, your vision, dreams, whatever it might be, we'd love to pray for you this morning. Um, so can I invite you to stand just where you are if you know that that is you? your dear children that have stood Lord we pray that just like in that poem they may be able to say Amen and whether it's Amen a bit Amen tomorrow Lord we pray that by the Holy Spirit you'd help them and help me to say Amen 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 come Holy Spirit